2 Samuel chapter 24, 2 Samuel chapter 24, we're going to look at the incident tonight where David numbers the people, and because David numbers the people, God sends a plague and 70,000 men die. And again, it's one of those things that you look at and you wonder, how did that happen? What happened there uh, and what was going on? So we need to tease our way through it. I think we'll see that, you know, it's very understandable when we look at it from God's perspective. And remember, on a Sunday night, what we're trying to do is we're trying to see, how does God deal with his people? What does God do? How can I expect God to deal with me? What's important to God? How does God tick, if you like? How, how, how does he work? And um, lots of good stuff for us in the Bible. And this is a particularly good story to help us to see that. Now, if you find Second Samuel chapter 24, and then I want you to find First Chronicles chapter 21. First Chronicles chapter 21. Because we're going to pray, and then we're going to read um, <clears throat> just a verse from First Chronicles, but we're going to read most of the chapter here in Second Samuel, all right? But let's have a word of prayer. Father, would you bless us? Uh, Lord, <clears throat> we look at you sometimes and what you do in the Bible, Lord, and, 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 and really, Lord, we're, we're perplexed. We don't understand it, and we don't know uh, how come this could be. Uh, and yet, Lord, as we look deeper, we begin to understand more about you, uh, more about your wonder, more about your beauty, uh, more about your justice, more about your holiness, uh, more about how you work. Now, Lord, help us as your people, Lord, not to be ignorant of how you work, but help us to know uh, and help us to be sure in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Second Samuel chapter 24, we're just, what we're going to do is just read the first verse, and then we'll read Chronicles, and then we'll come back uh, <clears throat> to Second Samuel, right? So Second Samuel 24, uh, <clears throat> verse 1, and again, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he moved David against them to say, go number Israel and Judah, all right? Now, a lot in that, um, but we've got the anger of the Lord kindled against who? I want you to catch this. Who's, who's the anger of the Lord kindled against? Israel, the people, right? The anger of the Lord is kindled against the people, and he moved David against them to say, go number Israel and Judah. So God's involved in this thing from the beginning. You know, sometimes we look at situations that happen in our lives, and you know, uh, and, and sometimes we want to give God a, you know, a, an out clause, right? We say, well, God had nothing to do with that. That's never true. That's never true. He's the God of the universe. He knows everything. Nothing happens apart from him allowing it to happen. He, he never is absolved, and he never, to be fair, ever tries to absolve himself uh, from the things that happen in his word, world. Never. He takes, he takes the hit. He takes the blame. And he doesn't need you trying to protect him and make him look good. You know, he, he says in the word. The anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, uh, and he moved David against them to, to say, go number Israel and Judah. Now, c- come with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 21. And 2 Chronicles chapter 21 is the same, the same story. It's dealing with this, exactly the same issue, right? Now, but here it tells us something different. And Satan stood up against, sorry, 2 Samuel chapter 21, verse 1. I want you to see it there, right? Right? And Satan stood up against Israel and provoked David to number Israel. So now Satan's involved in it. Right? Now, so who did it? Did God or did Satan? Hmm. 
We've got four characters here involved in this, in what we're going to watch, what we're going to see happen now uh, in a few minutes. And let's just talk about them here for, for a moment. Uh, first of all, let, let's look at where we are. Uh, we're looking at David. David is old by this time. He's almost 70. Now, he's an old man at this stage. And um, <clears throat> this is five years after Absalom's revolt. Right, So for five years later now, uh, David is, is getting to be an old man. He's getting to the place where, you know, uh, soon he's going to be gone off the scene altogether. Solomon's going to take over. But somehow, uh, just this last act, this last major act that we see David getting involved in uh, is one that God is offended with, right? And I say, there's four characters in it, right? First, God is angry. Why is God angry? It's always a reason why God is angry. God is not just, never just angry uh, without reason. There's, there's a reason why God is angry. Now, the, pa- the passage doesn't tell us. It doesn't spell out why God is angry. We are dealing with a situation here that's five years after the revolt of Absalom. And if you'll remember in the revolt of Absalom, the, the, the nation actually went with Absalom against David. Right? Now, David's nothing in, in, in one sense, but he's a lot in another sense. He's the anointed king. Israel were not supposed to take up and put down kings as they liked. They were supposed to actually follow what God wanted them to do. But Absalom turned their hearts away from David, and not only away from David, but they began to do their own thing, and they were going to set themselves up a king, and God was not happy with this thing. Right? And it may well be that God was upset about that, and uh, he was upset about Israel doing that. Uh, it, it doesn't tell us, but God is angry with Israel. And that's, that's actually the instigator not David, right? Now, second one is, um, the third was, so God is angry. Israel is the second player. Uh, the third one is Satan uh, gets involved. Now, why does Satan get involved in it? Because God uses Satan to test us, okay? We, we, we sometimes get it in our minds that Satan is a, you know, he, he's, he's, he's his own force doing his own thing always. Satan is a created being, and he can't do anything God doesn't want him to do. He's not able to. We saw that in Job, didn't we? We see, we see in Job when, when um, uh, Satan comes to God and he says, yeah, well, you, you look at Job. I mean, if you touch him, if you touch what he has, he only loves you because you bless him. But you touch his stuff, and I'll tell you, he turn against you and curse you like a dog. And God says, okay, go ahead. But God has to allow him. He can't do anything. And he comes back to God and God says, okay, you can touch him now, but you can't kill him. So the, you see, here's what you've got. You know, in a sense, you, the world kind of pictures it like you've got two gods. You've got the greater god, God, and you've got the lesser god, Satan, and they're duking it out. Right? The battle of the ages, they're duking it out. It's not a fair battle at all. You can't have a fair battle against God. You know, you can't, because God can squash anything and anyone like that, including Satan if he wants to. There's no fair battle involved in this. What's happening is, the reason God hasn't removed Satan from the picture is because he's using him to test people and to tempt people. And so here's what he does. He uses him on this occasion uh, to test uh, David. Now, here we have David then as an old man, and um, he's, going, he sends, he's going to send out the order to go number the people. Now, Why? Why? Why would David want to do that? Why would David take and um, want to number the people? Well, here he is. He's an old man. He's won all the battles. He's defeated every enemy. He's kind of comfortable. 
You know, <clears throat> yeah, he's got troubles because of his sin with Bathsheba. And yeah, he's got a, uh, his family has a wreck and a ruin. But you know what? As a king, David is a roaring success. Every battle he fights, he wins. You know, <clears throat> and here he is now, and he's an old man, and he's sitting back, and he's thinking how great he is. And he's thinking, you know what? I really am a great king. In fact, I should count up my warriors and see how many people I could put in the field. Because, you know, I think I could beat any army that's out there. I don't think anybody could go against me and beat me. I think I've got sufficient of an army that we could take on anybody and we could win. We've won every battle so far. I think, you know, we, we, we could take them on. Joe, I want you to go and I want you to number the people. So there's our four players in this thing. God is angry, uh, so he's doing something. Israel, uh, God is angry with Israel, and then Satan is doing what Satan does. He's tempting, and David is an old man, and he's looking to quantify his security. How secure am I? How many men do I have uh, for my security, right? <clears throat> okay, so let's read, read, read down through our passage here now. Uh, <clears throat> 2 Samuel 24, verse 2. For the king said to Joab, the captain of the host which was with him, Go now through all the tribes of Israel, from Dan even to Beersheba, and number ye the people, that I may know the number of the people. And Joab, now Joab's not the most spiritual guy in David's household. Now he's a good warrior, and he's tenacious. Two, David has appointed two other people at this point uh, to, uh, to be captain of the guard in, in Joab's place, and Joab has killed both of them. Uh, he doesn't truck with any competition. Uh, and yes, he's all for David, but only, as, only in as much as it suits him. And when it doesn't suit him, he does his own thing. Right? And so he's not a particularly spiritual guy. But Joab says this, And Joab said unto the king, Now the Lord thy God add unto the people how many soever they be an hundredfold, uh, and that the eyes, of the, Lord, the, the eyes of my lord the king may see it. But why doth my lord the king delight in this thing? What are you delighting in this thing for? Why are you delighting in numbering the people? Why is it so important to you that you number the people? Now, why was it important to to David? Because David was looking at his warriors as being his warriors and his security. Now, there's something totally wrong in that. There's something totally missing here uh, for David in that. Notwithstanding, the king's word prevailed against Joab and against the captains of the host. And Joab and the captains of the host went out from the presence of the king to number the people of Israel. And they passed over Jordan and pitched in Aror uh, on the right side of the city that lieth in the midst of the river Gad and towards Jazer. Uh, then, then they came to Gilead and to the land of Tahatnam, Hodshai, and they came to Danjan uh, and about Zidon. Uh, and came in the stronghold of Tyre unto all the cities of the Hivites and of the Canaanites, and they went out to the south of Judah, even to Beersheba. So <clears throat> when they had gone through the, all the land, they came to Jerusalem at the end of nine months and twenty days. This thing took nine months and twenty days uh, to, to, to count all the people in, uh, <clears throat> in the country, all of the uh, armed men in the country. And Joab gave up the sum of the people of the number of the people unto the king. And there was in Israel 800,000 valiant men that drew the sword. And the men of Judah were 500,000 men. Right? So he comes in, it's almost a million and a half men. Now that's a huge army for the day. It's a huge army for today, but it's a huge army for the day. You know, we see armies coming up against Israel, but we don't see anything like this. At this point, David is right. He has sufficient army 
to rule the world. He has enough men to rule the world. That's what he wanted to know. And now he knows. He knows he has an absolutely vast army. And David can say to himself, I am very secure. There is nobody that can go up against me. I am safe. My kingdom is safe. My dynasty is safe. I'm okay. We're we're going to be safe here. We're going to go here. Now, there's one thing that's wrong with this. And it's this. God is David's security. And has always been David's security. David's security was never in what he had. David never saw his security as being in his right arm as a swordsman. He never saw his security as being in the man that he had around him. God was David's security, and David knew it. Now, just just look back. Um, Look back over the page there in chapter 23, right? And we'll just read a little bit into this passage, right? In fact, sorry, chapter 22. Back one chapter more, right? And David spake unto the Lord the words of this song in the day that the Lord had delivered him out of the hand of, the, uh, of his enemies and out of the hand of Saul, right? Now, who delivered him? The Lord delivered him, right? And he said, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. Um, the God of my rock, in him will I trust. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation and my high tower and my refuge. My Savior, thou savest me from a violence. I will call on the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from mine enemies. When the waves of death compass me, the floods of ungodly men make me afraid. The sorrows of hell compass me about. The snares of death prevented me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried to the Lord. And he did hear my voice out of his temple. And my cry did enter into his ears. Then the Lord shook and trembled. The earth shook and trembled. The foundations of the heaven moved and shook because he was wroth. There went up a smoke out of his nostrils and fire out of his mouth. Devoured coals were kindled by it. He bowed the heavens also and came down, and darkness was under his feet. And he rode upon a cherub and did fly. And he was seen upon the wings of the wind. And he made darkness pavilions around about him, dark waters and thick clouds uh, of the dark skies. Through the brightness before him were the coals of fire kindled. The Lord thundered from heaven, and the Most High uttered his voice. And he sent out arrows and scattered them, lightning and discomfort discomforted them. Now, we won't go on reading there. We could go on reading. This makes great reading. But here's what David is saying, right? When when Saul went after David, David was just a boy, wasn't he? The king and all the army of Israel were after David. They were chasing him up and down Israel. That was their only job. Their only job was get David, get David. Saul would have been happy if they just got David. You know what? David, with his few men, couldn't protect himself from Saul and his army. God did. God did. Later on, David's going to be king, and he's going to get involved in battles that there's no way he can win. God's going to win them. Absalom, his son, is going to go after him with all of Israel. There's no way David can win that battle either, but he's going to win, and he's going to get his throne back. God's going to deliver him. And David's life is a catalog from the time he slew Goliath. 
all the way through his life is a catalog of him realizing, I'm not able, but you're able, Lord. Lord, you do it, and God would do it every time. God would do it. God would, God, God would come to his rescue. God would deliver him. God would be his refuge. God would be his fortress. God would be his shield. God would take care of him every single time. And that was the relationship that David had with God. God's going to take care of me. I'm okay. So what happened? He had a moment. Did you ever have a moment? Did you ever have a moment when you thought you could do it? Did you ever have a moment when you thought you didn't need God? Did you ever have a moment when you thought you had sufficient that you were okay? That's the moment David had. I got a million and a half men. A million and a half. There's nobody that can beat me. I've got a million and a half men to put in the field anytime I like. I, I am sitting easy. I am comfortable. Now, if you'd asked David, David, are you trusting in God? He said, of course I'm trusting in God. But I have a million and a half men. You know what? We can get there real easy, can't we? We can get to the place where we've trusted God and trusted God and trusted God. And all of a sudden, the circumstances look kind of comfortable. And we say, I'm pretty safe now. I'm okay. And, and we don't ever say it, but the, 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 the implication is, I don't need to trust God now. I'm comfortable. I have all that I need. I'm doing okay. That's where David came to. David came to the place where, you know what, I'm okay. I got a million and a half men. My battles are over. Yeah, I love God. Yeah, I go to church. Yeah, I do all the things <clears throat> that I'm supposed to do. But you know what? <clears throat> I'm secure now. And you know what God wanted David to know? And all Israel to know your security is in me. It doesn't matter how much you have. It doesn't matter how many men you have. Your security is and will always be in me. What's the most important thing about you and I to God? Not the way we look. Not what we can do. Not the money we have. Not the homes we live in. What's the most important thing about you and I to God? Our faith that we actually depend upon him. You see, our faith, depending upon him, is very clearly the area where we give him the glory. The Bible says, without faith, you can't please God much. Does it say that? No, it says, without faith, you cannot please God at all. There's no way for you to please God at all. You see, for, for, for all of David's life, David had trusted in God. He'd had to. Good night, he fought battles that nobody could win. And the, he was always on the edge. And you know what? He was always trusting and depending upon God. And when David put on his sword, it was always with a prayer. Now, Lord, if you don't go with us into this battle, we're sunk. Lord, we're depending upon you. You guide the battle because without you, we can't win this battle. For all his life, David had been trusting in God, and God got the glory. Dave wrote many of the Psalms, you know, and, and the Psalms are all giving God the glory for all the great things that happened in David's life. David was trusting, David was depending upon God, and God was pushing him to the edge and causing reasons and occasions when David had to trust in God, and David was coming through, and God got great glory from the life of David. But now we have a time when David's grown up as a king. And he's got a million and a half men. 
and he's not so in need of God, kind of doesn't think he's in need of anyone. He's secure. He's fought the battles. He's won. The land is quiet. And he's secure, and he doesn't need God. And that's what he's doing. He's counting on his security apart from God. Now, what do you think God's going to do? Why do you think God's going to wring his hands and say, oh, no, David doesn't need me anymore? What do you think God's going to do? God's going to come down. God's going to come down and God's going to create a situation where David does need him. And by the way, the heart was there already. God just played to the heart that was in David. You think you don't need me, David? Let me help you. As a nation, you think you don't need me? Let me help you. Let me, let me help you to understand. Right? <clears throat> you see, David's trust had been in God up to this point, And now David's trust was in his fighting men. And that just wasn't good enough for God. Now, can you and I do that? You bet we can do that. We can do it with money, can't we? Don't you wish you had enough money that you just have comfortable that you had just a comfortable amount of money in the bank, you know, <clears throat> where you'd be safe and secure? Isn't that what you'd like? You'd just be safe and secure, and you'd have nothing that you want because you'd be safe. Don't you kind of long for that? Don't you kind of dream about that? Yeah, isn't, that why, isn't that why people go and waste their money on the lotto all the time? Because if I had that million, if I had a couple of mil, I'd be safe and secure. Do you realize there's not enough money in the world to make you safe and secure when God steps in? There's not enough money in the world. God's going to show David that. God's going to show David, if you had 10 million men, you wouldn't be secure if I don't say you're secure. And we need to understand that, that God rules in the affairs of men. And just when you think you've got it all sorted out, you've got it all settled down, and you've got everything, all, all the boxes checked, and everything is in order, and you don't need God, God's going to knock on your door and say, yes, you do. You see, because remember, to you and I, it's all about living peaceful and comfortable in this life, isn't it? We just, we just want we, we just want to be comfortable. We just want to be have ease. We just want a nice happy life, you know. And uh, if we can coast through and have a nice happy life, and then go and die and go to heaven, we'd be happy. No, to God, it's all about eternity. And in the here and now, it's all about you trusting Him. And so God is constantly creating situations where you have to trust Him. Constantly creating those situations where you have to trust Him, because without faith, it's impossible to please Him. So He helps you. He creates those reasons. Money doesn't create a buffer that makes you secure. Relationships don't create a buffer that will make you secure. You know, nothing. You go to the doctor and the doctor gives you a clean bill of health and says, oh, you're going to live another 40 years. You're not secure. The only security you have is in him. And he wants you to know that. And here's the thing. Unless you come to know that, you're always going to be insecure. Unless you come to know that all my security rests in him. He is my shield. He is my fortress. He is my refuge. Unless you come to understand that, you're always going to be insecure. Because it's an insecure world. And here's what will happen. For a while, you'll kind of plod along and everything will look good and everything will happen. And then all of a sudden, some catastrophe will come into your life that you haven't prepared for, you haven't planned for, and you're not able to handle. 
And it'll be God knocking on your door and say, you need to trust me now. Haven't you seen him do it in your life? Haven't you seen him do it over and over in your life? He's going to continue to do it. He wants you to trust him. The lesson he wants us to learn is he wants us to learn, you know what, I have no security apart from him. I have nothing in my life that can make me secure apart from him. My only security is in him, but in him I have a refuge. In him I have a portion. In him I have a fortress. I have somewhere to run to. In him. And that's what he wants you to know. And you know, (laughs) really, it's his mercy that brings you to that place and keeps you in that place. Because the truth for us is, if we had enough, if, you know, if I could pass out a million euros tonight to every one of you here, you'd all be very happy, wouldn't you? Everybody would be happy. Nobody would be saying, well, no, pastor, I don't think I, I should take it. I might trust in it, right? Uh, no, you, you'd all be taking it. You'd be going home happy. And most of you would go home with less faith in God than you had coming in the door. Because now you'd be trusting in the money. That's just the way we are. That's just the way we are. You'd be trusting in what you had. You'd be trusting in what you could see. You'd be trusting in the barrier you had between you and God. And God laughs. And he thinks, you think a million can make you secure? David thinks a million and a half soldiers make him secure? Let's see what God does. Let's see how God upends David's little security blanket and and shreds it for him. Okay? Now, um, Next point, back to your text here, right? Verse 10. And David's heart smote him after he had numbered the people. And David said unto the Lord, I have sinned greatly in that I have, what I have done. And now I beseech thee, O Lord, take away the iniquity of thy servant, for I have done very foolishly. So what happens for David? David realizes what he's done. He realizes, oh no. I am getting high and lifted up on my million and a half men. That's what it was all about here. And I'm not trusting in the living God. Lord, I have done wrong. Forgive me. Now, David's strong point, by the way, is not his leadership. It's not that he's a family man. David's strong point is when he gets wrong, he gets it right again. That when David actually gets it wrong, he turns it around and he gets it right again. When David does wrong, he comes back to God and he makes it right. And that's what he does here. He realizes he's gotten it wrong, and he turns it around really quickly. That would be a real helpful thing for us to to take from the life of David, because the reason David's great is not because he doesn't get it wrong. He gets it glaringly wrong. The reason David's great is because when he gets it wrong, he gets it right again. He repents, and he repents quickly and turns back to God. He doesn't care what anybody thinks about him. He just gets it right. So David turns around and David gets it right and he comes back to God. with, And then God does the most incredible thing of all. And God never does anything by accident, right? God comes to David and God gives David three choices. You choose what I'm going to do. You choose how I'm going to deal with the situation, David. Now, wouldn't you hate that? I'd hate that, right? I would absolutely hate that. You choose. I mean, that, that's terrifying. Uh, you've got to choose what God is going to do in your life. Uh, but that's what God does. He comes to David and he asks him to choose. All right. <clears throat> okay, verse 11. For when David was up in the morning, the word of the Lord came unto the prophet Gad, uh, David's seer, saying, Go and say unto David, Thus saith the Lord, I offer thee three things. 
Choose thee one of them, that I may do it unto thee. So Gad came to David and told him and said unto him, Shall seven years of famine come unto thee in thy land? Or wilt thou flee three months before thine enemies uh, while they pursue thee? Or that there be three days pestilence in the land? Now advise and see what answer I shall return unto him that sent me. Right? So God says, okay, you've got three choices, David. Right? Now let's look at the three choices for a second. Right? Uh, first of all, he says, shall seven years of famine come into the land? Seven years of... David's just been through three years of famine for the Gibeonites. Uh, for the slaying of the Gibeonites, there was three years of famine. David knows what famine does to the land and does to the people. And here's what God's saying to David. Okay, David, you've got a million and a half men. What will you do if I bring you seven years of famine? What will your million and a half men do then? How are you going to sort yourself out then, David? Where are you going to find food for them, Dave? If I don't feed them, where are you going to find me? You're not going to be able to feed them. They're going to die. Dave, you've got a million and a half men, but you, you, you haven't understood that apart from me, it doesn't matter if you have 10 million men, you're not safe. So, Dave, do you, do you want me to give you seven years of famine? Okay, or the second thing, uh, he says, or that thou will flee three months before thine enemies. Now, Chronicles tells us that you're going to be destroyed three months before your enemies. Now, so here's the deal, right? The deal is, okay, Dave, you've got a million and a half men, right? Okay, great. Well, you can put them up in the field, and I'm going to send in an army that's going to whoop you guys for three months. And David's got enough sense to know if God sends in another army to, 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 that's going to beat his army, there's, there's no strategy, there's no amount of swords, there's no amount of arrows, there's no amount of chariots, there's nothing David can do to win if God says the other guys are going to win. So David, what good are your million and a half men now? I can send an army that's going to chase you for three months and win and beat you for three months. Now, I love you, so I'll turn it around after three months and I'll give you the victory again. But you know what? For three months, you're going to be on the run. You're going to be getting beaten. You're going to be getting destroyed. It's going to take you a long time to recover from that, David. Now, David, what good is your million and a half men now? What good is your million and a half men when I let them get beaten? See what God is doing? God is showing David, you're not secure at all, David. Your security is not in a million and a half men. Your security is not in what you have. Your security is not in who you are, David. Your security is in me. I'm in charge. And then he gives him the third one. Or or that there be three days of pestilence in in thy land. Now, in three days, how many people can die of a pestilence? Well, God's going to cut it short. 70,000 are going to die. You know, I think God could have let it run and he could have lost a half a million people. He could have even lost his whole million and a half. David wasn't secure at all. See, David thought for a moment, he just had a moment, but he thought for a moment that he didn't need God. He thought just for a moment that he was safe and he was secure apart from God. And God steps in and brings him to the place where he realizes, no, you're not, Dave. I am your security. I am the one that takes care of you. Now, David chooses like David would choose. See what David says, what his choice is? Verse 14, And David said unto God, I am in a great strait. This is a tough call. 
Let us fall now into the hand of the Lord, for his mercies are great, and let me not fall into the hand of man. He says, okay, I'm choosing number three. Because you know what? I know God. I know he said three days of pestilence, but his mercies are great. He might just cut it short. He, he might just stop in the middle of it. And he was right. David knew God. David called it. He wasn't a perfect man, but he knew God. He knew how God worked, and he knew the choice to make. What choice would you have made there? Tough choice, isn't it? Let me ask you this. <clears throat> Do you think you can ever be safe apart from God? Oh, somewhere in that carnal heart, there runs a dreadful stream that says, yeah, I could. I could turn my back on God, go my own way, and if I had sufficient money, sufficient whatever, good job, whatever, I could make it. And God just laughs. He says, there's nowhere in this world you can go to hide from me. There's nowhere. There's no way. There's nothing you can do to make yourself safe and secure apart from me. You see, that's the lie. The lie of life is, I, I can go up myself. I can do it. I don't need God. I, I can make it happen myself. I, I can go my own way. I, I, I'll be okay. And you can't. That's a lie. And it's a lie we often swallow. And it's a lie people often, people often swallow to their detriment. Because life gets hard when God makes it hard. Life gets difficult. And by the way, God is not unjust. right? And God is very merciful. But God does not spare when he decides to do something. You know, when it came to, <clears throat> to the flood and God looked on, uh, on mankind and mankind was evil and the heart was only evil, God destroyed the whole world except Noah and his family because he found grace in his eyes. You know, you're going to that's pretty drastic, God, to destroy them all. Yeah, well, that's what God decided. You know what? They weren't going to do what I wanted them to do. Uh, and so God destroyed them all. Now, he gave them chance. 120 years, Noah preached the gospel to them. They had opportunity to turn around. They didn't turn around. And God destroyed all of them. You know, under Moses, uh, God was ready to destroy all the people again. And Moses interceded and turned, turned the whole situation around, but God was ready to destroy them because of their sin. You see, God is, I, I want to say ruthless, but that's not really the right word to use. When God decides he's going to do something, he doesn't spare. He adds up all the consequences, and he goes for it, and he does it. He's always right. He always gets it right. Now, <clears throat> 70,000 men are going to die when David chooses the pestilence. 70,000 men are going to die. And you say, that's not fair. 70,000 innocent men, two thoughts for you. There are no innocent men. I think you ladies are saying, yeah, definitely there are no innocent men. There are no innocent women either, okay? <laughs> there are, none of us are innocent, okay? And none of these people were innocent. And what you have is you have a nation that had rejected God and followed after Absalom knowing that David was the anointed, appointed king. 
you have a nation that's gone their own way and, and, and on their own thing, right? So 70,000 men die. Now, now look back to our passage here. Verse 15. So the Lord sent a pestilence upon Israel from the morning even to the time appointed, and there died of the people from Dan even to Beersheba 70,000 men. And when the angel stretched out his hand upon Jerusalem to destroy it, the Lord repented him of the evil. David was right, wasn't he? He's full of mercy. He had said he would do it, but he repented him of the evil. He said, no, I'm not going to do it. And said to the angel that destroyed the people, it is enough. Stay now thine hand. And the angel of the Lord was by the threshing place of Aruna the Jebusite, And David spake unto the Lord when he saw the angel that smote the people and said, Lo, I have sinned and I have done wickedly, but these sheep, what have they done? Talking about the people. These sheep that David was leading. Let thine hand, I pray thee, be against me and against my father's house. And Gad came that day to David and said unto him, Go, uh, go up, rear an altar unto the Lord at the threshing floor of Arun of the Jebusite. And And David, according to his... Uh, the saying of God went up as the Lord commanded, and Aruna looked and saw the king and his servants coming on towards him. And Aruna went out and bowed himself before the king on his face before the ground. And Aruna said, Wherefore is my lord the king come unto his servant? And David said, To buy the threshing floor of thee, to build an altar in, uh, unto the Lord, that the plague may be stayed from the people. And Aruna said unto David, Let my lord the king take and offer up what seemeth good unto him, Behold, here be oxen for burnt sacrifice and threshing instruments and other instruments of the oxen for wood. All these things did Aruna as the king give unto the king. Did Aruna as a king give unto the king? And Aruna said unto the king, The Lord thy God accept thee. And the king said unto Aruna, Nay, but I will surely buy it of thee at a price. Neither will I offer burnt offerings unto the Lord my God of that which does cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for fifty shekels of silver. And David built there an altar unto the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. So the Lord was entreated for the land and the plague was stayed from the land. Now Chronicles tells us this, that David offered the sacrifice and God sent fire for the sacrifice and accepted the sacrifice and that the angel put up his sword. It was over. It was done. It was dealt with. Now, what happened here? What happened in all this? All this, all this, this drama. What happened in all this drama? Something very, very precious in the heart of David got off. David, the man after God's own heart that trusted in God and depended upon God, started trusting in what he could see. David, whose life was the victory of the invisible over the visible, started looking at the visible and thinking, that's what I need. That's what will take care of me. That's the, I, I'll be safe now. I've got a million and a half men. I'm okay. And God said, I'm not having that. And God went after it. And God dealt with it. And he dealt with it in a huge way. Now, he's God. He's always doing more than one thing at a time. But the one thing we see clearly in this passage is God going after David's heart because his faith, his dependence, his trust was in what he could see, his men, 
and not in God. Now let me ask you a question before we close tonight. Where's your trust tonight? Where's your trust? Are, are, are you in a nice comfortable place where you're trusting in what you can see? Well, you know, I've got the money saved up there for retirement, and, you know, it's going to be fine. I'll, I think I can make it. I think, I, I think it's, it's okay. It'll be fine. I, I have enough. I have sufficient. I, I'll be comfortable. I'll be safe. I'll be secure. Now, there's nothing wrong with you preparing for the future. That's, that, there's nothing wrong with that. You should prepare for the future as much as you possibly can. Just don't put your trust in it. Just don't put your trust in what you do. Be a wise steward. Prepare for the future, but understand your trust is not in that. Your trust is in him. Maybe you're in the place tonight where you're looking at your situation and you're thinking, you know what? I wish I had something that I could trust in. I wish I had something that was a barrier between me and God. You don't need that. You need him. You need him. Do you know that if David only had 500 men, he was perfectly secure? Why? Because God. David had everything he needed in God. And David kind of knew that. He had learned that in certain points along the way, hadn't he? He learned, you know, when he went out running from Absalom, all he had was God. When he was on the run from Saul, all he had was God. David kind of, but you know what? He forgot somehow. We need to remember that. If I have nothing but him, I have enough. He'll take care of me. I'll be fine. Your security is not in the bank, and your security is not in bricks and mortar, and your security is not in the people around you, and your security is not in your job, and your security is not in anything of this earth. Your security is in him. You know the wonderful thing, though? That can never be taken from you. Never. He's always there. God doesn't say to David and this, uh, and this guy, okay, so you put your trust in something else. Well, I'll tell you what, I am upset with you, David. And I'll tell you what, listen, you can just go and get lost now. I'm not looking after you anymore. You're done for David. God doesn't do that. David gets it wrong. He gets it right with God, and God continues to take care of him. God will take care of you. God will look after you. That's the God that you serve. What's going to happen, though, is in those moments when you come to the place where you think you can trust in something else or you hope you can trust in something else or you start depending on something else, God's going to be upset. And when God gets upset with you, it's not the same. He doesn't just cast you off. But you know what? You don't have his presence. You don't have that sense of his presence. You can't enjoy him. And you see, the chief end of man is to enjoy him. That's the most wonderful thing in life, to enjoy him. You know the greatest promise God gives you? God says, Lo, I am with you always. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will be with you. You see, if you have him, you have everything. If you have him, you have it all. You see, we want something of substance that we can trust in, and God says, no way. 
That's the last thing you need. What you need is you need me. I will take care of you. And if you can come to the place in your life where your dependence really and truly is in him, where your security and your refuge and your portion is him, and that's real in your life, he can give you anything. doesn't matter. He can give you anything. Abraham was a wealthy, wealthy man. But you know what? You'd never for a moment think that Abraham was trusting in his wealth. He just wasn't. It wasn't an issue for Abraham. It was just there. It was what God had given him. God had blessed him, but it didn't mean much to him. The one thing that did get to mean a whole lot to him, God tested him on Isaac and he... Abraham came through and then he said, no, you know what? He doesn't mean as much as you do to me, God. See, the thing is, if you can come to the place where your trust is in him and really and truly in him, you know what? He can give you anything. But if you can't trust him, he's got to hold back on you. He has to. Because he's not going to suffer a competition in your life. He loves you. He wants you. He's not going to let something in your life that's going to be a competition between you and him. He's not going to let something in your life that's going to put you in the place where you don't have to trust him. He'll fight you on that one. But if you can come to the place where you surrender and you say, okay, Lord, you are my all. You are really what I need. And you are all that I need. And you can stay in that place You can do anything in your life. You say, well, pastor, I'd love to be there, but the truth is I'm not. Why don't you do this? Why don't you do this tonight? Why don't you say, Lord, he's right. That's what I want. I want to trust you. Lord, that terrifies me. I want to make you my all in all. I want to put my trust in you. I I want to believe and know that I have everything in you. Help me, Lord. Do you think God would be interested in a prayer like that? I think he'd be very interested in a prayer like that. And you know what would happen? What is it that makes you insecure? What is it that makes you worry? Isn't it the things that you have and can lose or the things that you don't have and need? Isn't that what makes you insecure and makes you worried? Aren't they the things that really bother you? And you know what God says? If you let me be your all in all, I will take care of you. You will have everything you need. Not everything you want, but everything you need, I will take care of you. And you know what that is? That's freedom. That's freedom. See, David with his million and a half men, there's no freedom in that. You've got to keep them fed. You've got to keep them paid. You've got to keep them happy. You've got to keep them on your side. There's no freedom in that. But you know what? When David's trusting in God, there's freedom. Why don't we give up the things that we think might, maybe, could make us secure and reckon on the only thing we need to make us secure? Let's stand for prayer.
Father in heaven, we come to you tonight, Lord. And Lord, we thank you for David. We thank you for the way you display David's heart and David's life and David's needs and, and, and what you're doing in his life. But Lord, we're no better than David. Lord, we're not a people that can look down and say, oh, poor David, he was, uh, he was weak in this area. Lord, we're all weak in this area. Lord, would you help us tonight, Lord? Would you help us to put our trust truly in you? Would you help that one that's not trusting tonight to put their trust in you? Would you help that one that stands in fear, Lord, and thinks they could never to cry out to you and ask you to do it? And oh, Lord, would you bless each one of us, Lord, that we might trust you and that we might trust you all through our lives and into, into your presence with a testimony that says we had faith in you, that we walked with you. And Lord, when we stray, may we like David, get it right, get it straight. Lord, we pray, would you bless. Now let's take a moment and you just do business with God. Just where you're sitting there, standing there, just do business with God. Don't let a moment pass when God is speaking to you. Now, Father, we thank you for your word. I believe this was your message for tonight. And Lord, I believe you worked in your people's hearts. Now, Lord, would you be pleased with what happens in our hearts now as we trust you? And would you bless us and help us to trust you in Jesus' precious name? Amen.